the games we grew up with, a podcast that relies on nostalgia and a geeky sensibility. In this podcast, my sister and I are going to look through some games we played as kids, or almost kids. We're going to talk through some of the memories we had playing the games and see how well they hold up. And maybe, probably, mess around along the way. We're here, we got producer Kyle, producer Lisa in the wings, I'm Chris. And I'm Katie. Let's get going. So uh, we're on to episode three. This is very exciting times. How you feeling? Feeling pretty good. Ironing out the kinks. I think we're, we're kind of getting there. Yeah, definitely working out some kinks, figuring out what we're doing. You know, not royally messing up every single time. You know, the basics. Oh, thanks. The producers are telling me that we're messing up just as often, but that's fine. We can pretend we're not. That's what good producers are for. Absolutely. Speaking of errors, we're always going to make them. Let's be honest. We will never be perfect. So what are some of the errors we've made that we need to make quick corrections to? It's it's mostly an error because it was bothering me. Last episode, uh, we were talking about Vector Man and how it was Vector Piece animation. And in my brain, I confused uh, what was Sega calling Vector Piece animation with Vector Graphics because it was the the kind of comparison to raster graphics. And that's not quite the same. That was mostly bothering me because I should know better because I took a damn graduate class on it and I totally forgot. But the vector piece animation is not the same thing as vector graphics. So that was bothering me. So I figured I'd just throw that out there before we get all of the people going, well, actually. So I felt like I had to correct the record there. That's fair. So we've had some time. We've been hanging out. Uh, you got anything exciting going on in gaming right now? So for me, the exciting thing is a personal achievement. I finally got my platinum trophy in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Thank God. Nice. It only took 102 hours. It's fine. That's not that long. It's actually not that long for an RPG. But yes, it's finally done. I kept mentioning it, so it has to be uh, brought up. But there we go. Insert congratulatory Tori soundtrack. So here we are on a Friday, and I'm just going to say happy birthday to you and to producer Kyle a couple days ago. So happy birthday. Woo, we're old like you all. Yay. But not as old as you all. Hey, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Another probably reoccurring segment, uh, or what we hope to do, is what we're next going to talk about, which is video game trope of the day. Trope of the day. So, uh, Chris, what is a video game trope and why are we talking about them? So video game tropes or just tropes in general are kind of those archetypes, those those go to devices that you see all over the place. Like the hero's journey is a trope. Things like rule of three is a trope. It's things that that show up over and over and over again. They're not a bad thing, right? Like they're just kind of a how how stuff ends up working out. Trope is a is a term I think that somehow has negative connotation nowadays, and I think it's all in how you use the trope and why you're using a trope, and we'll we'll talk a bit about it that um, depending. I think tropes aren't always negative when you take it the other way, and there can be in jokes that come with tropes, like in movies and TV shows. You have the Wilhelm scream that shows up all the time, even though it's super well known at this point that it's just a generic sound type. In video games, that happens too, but it's just kind of a fun thing we want to talk about. So, what's today's trope? Of the day 
today's trope of the day is wrench wench. So what's a wrench wench, Chris? So the wrench wench is that stereotype where you see it's Roll and Mega Man, uh, what was her name, Luca in Chrono Trigger. It's that tough female personality that is a mechanic. It's kind of the way to show that someone is not overly feminine, so they make them mechanical in some way, right? Yeah, and this is definitely that trope where there's normally two ends of it. It's either that girl who's very attractive, very feminine, but she's like, I'm not all feminine. Look, I work with literally a wrench sometimes, and I'm all oily and stuff. Or on the other end of things, it's the other trope that falls into it is the she cleans up nicely trope, which is, you know, that someone who you didn't expect to be attractive, but magically is attractive. That often is very close to the wrench wench. Even when they are attractive beforehand, it's the whole fake. The main character might not have noticed they were attractive till they clean up. The one example I thought of immediately is one of my favorites is Ellie from Borderlands 2. So she is absolutely a wrench wench. She is a girl who is a mechanic. She is an expert mechanic. She is very good at it she is very feminine and she absolutely knows that all the men love her and she talks about it but she doesn't fall into that stereotypical look of a wrench vision of beauty yes your your stereotypical vision of beauty she's also a country hick which again doesn't fall into that stereotypes of wrench wench and that's what's fun about it it's borderlands gearbox knew what they were making fun of when they created her character that she was clearly the wrench wench but she followed most but not all the stereotypes about it which is just what made her great. She was such a great character and that made it so much better because they played with your expectation. Well, yes, she's she's an exaggerated caricature like everyone else in that game and it works. Mm-hmm. The character design absolutely works. No, and that's what's great about it, but that's why she's such a great character and she fits absolutely into the wrench wench category while still breaking some of those stereotypes. So that's this episode's trope of the day. Trope of the day! Another example that will lead us into our main segment of the day, of course, is the wrench wench that's known as Kira from Jack and Daxter. So let's jump into this episode's uh, game, Jack and Daxter. All right, Katie, tell us a little bit about Jack and Daxter, the precursor legacy. So Jack and Daxter came out in 2001. It was developed by Naughty Dog. This was following their huge success of Crash Bandicoot, of course. So this was not their first foray into the gaming world, nor with Sony. They had a great relationship and still do have a great relationship with Sony. It was a platformer for the PS2. It came out relatively early in the PS2's life cycle, especially considering how long that system was around. And it was really, really, really well received. Um, Metacritic overall has it as a 90 out of 100. More specifically, Game Informer has it as a 9.25 out of 10. IGN has a 9.4 out of 10. GameSpot gave one of the lower scores of an 8.8 out of 10. So just really overall, everyone seemed to love this game. Really well received. In fact, It sold 1.7 million copies by 2006, which again, really impressive at that time period. But overall, the series as a whole sold actually a total copies around at least 15 million copies around the world. So it was a very popular game for the PS2, a very popular series for the PS2, because again, it did so well, it spawned two main sequels in the series. There's Jack 2 in 2003 and Jack 3 in 2004. Now these are both on the PS2. And then there are three 
spin-off games. You have Jack X Combat Racing, which came out in 2005, which plot-wise, as much as a racing game has plot, is a sequel to Jack 3. There's Daxter in 2006. Um, that came out actually for the PSP, so it's the only game that came out only for the PSP. Which I didn't play because I didn't actually own a PSP, like 95% of America. I'm the 5%. Yes, have fun with that. And that was actually a game that took place during Jack 2. I did not know that. Yeah, it's both prequel and sequel-ish in there. There's a time jump of two years in Jack 2, and Daxter takes place during that time period, which is kind of amazing. And then the last game to come out was Jack and Daxter and the Lost Frontier in 2009, so a big gap in time before it came out as well, still on the PS2. It was a really expansive series. A lot of games that came out for it, really well done. And then some kind of other interesting facts about the series. There was a speed run. Uh, there's still, there is a speed run category because speed runs are absolutely fascinating to watch. The current record is set by Outrageous Josh. It's one hour and one minute and 41 seconds. And that was set in February of 2020. So it's, it's a still very, very active speed running community. Now, a 100% run, which is completing the game to its fullest capacity, but you can use kind of glitches to skip around if need be, was an hour and 34 minutes and 50 seconds, and that was from March of 2020. So again, this is a really, really active speedrunning community still. How is 100% only 30 minutes longer? Right, because I think you can do more glitching in that version. That's um, whereas the in the no-skip version, you can't glitch. And I, I think, interesting note, while... Chris would be allowed to try for the speedrun. I would not, because in those communities, you have to be on the original system it came out for. So while Chris played this game on the PS2 with our original game, I uh, played it on the PS4, so I would not have qualified. Until recently, when I got all that stuff from our parents, <laughs> that I was just going to play it on the PS3 with a remastered version, but it's like, well, yeah, I'll just play it on the PS2, because that's... I got it, might as well try. Exactly. So... Speaking of our history with this game, it came with the system when I bought it. We were both in high school, so this is a little later in our gaming career. Uh, This was not when we were little kids. We were still kids, but we were definitely in high school. So it kind of has a different dynamic when we were playing this game. We would still sometimes watch each other play this game, but it wasn't as uh, much of a let's go play video games. It was more like, oh, Chris is playing games. I'm going to go watch him or I'm sure you did the same. Oh, Katie's going to play something. I'm just going to hang out in the basement and watch with her. And so there's a lot more independent game playing at the time. But we still, I think, watched each other play pretty often. Oh, yeah, definitely. Before we get too nostalgic now, um, let's play that Chiacarina of Time and actually go back and see what our rose-tinted perspective was on this. Let's go. All right, that music means we are in the rose-tinted glasses segment of the podcast. We're doing this before we record the rest of the podcast so we could get our thoughts before we go back and play it again, get any bias out, view this game through our rose-tinted nostalgia. So, Katie, why are we doing Jack and Daxter? So, we're doing Jack and Daxter. It's a bit different than the games we've done thus far. It is a PS2 game. We're doing it because it is probably one of my favorite games of all time. It was the first game that I have ever 100%ed by myself. I died a lot in the process, but I did 100%, 101%ed it, might I note. And it is a game that I think I played to 101% at least 
20 times as a kid and have it actually as an adult in a little bit of a cheating way of this have gone back and played it multiple times as an adult as well. So it is just definitely one of my very favorite games of all time that leads really into one of my favorite series of all time. Yeah, and I didn't play this one as much as I played the second and third games. Like, I played this one a lot. I think I watched you in a bit of a role reversal. I watched you play this game a ton and then played the second and third games a lot more. And I remember this game was, it was a platformer, like pure 3D platformer. Yeah, and this is Naughty Dog's kind of foray. It was, I mean, it was one of the premier games of the PS2. I remember I bought it when I bought the PS2. This is the game that came with it was Jack and Daxter. And here's my moment of, of hipsterness. I like Naughty Dog before they were cool. <laughs> and, you know, it was just, it was one of my favorite games. It was a platformer. It was really smooth and simple and it was colorful and bright and it was really easy to play. Um, unlike some of those really early games on the Sega that we've talked about where they don't really explain anything. This game, more intuitively, the the instructions on how to get stuff, it did flat out tell you, but at the same time, it felt natural in the gameplay. And because there weren't limited lives, I never felt like I just had to give up. I could keep trying over and over again. And it, it meant I died a lot, but I could keep playing, which really appealed to me at the time. That's what I was thinking too with this game is that it's one of the first games we played where... There was no live system, and it goes into that system of you die, you restart really quickly, and you're just right back where you were. So it's just, you died, all right, we're going to try this again. Yeah. And I think that's a great part of games now, because it's just like, all right, we're just going to keep you moving. So it gets rid of a lot of that frustration, right? And it had the autosave feature, so you never had to worry that much that you suddenly lost three hours of gameplay. You didn't have that moment yeah. of oh gosh, I haven't saved in forever, or I'm at the middle of the level and not the beginning of the level, so I have to start. Now, there was some loss, but it was never more than 10 to 15 minutes at most of lost gameplay, which I think for starting off and really wanting to get into gaming, it was a great jumping off point because it didn't discourage you from playing just because you didn't always do a great job of it. I think the most discouraging part of me playing this game was my father yelling at me at one point because every single time I died, Jack yelled as he was dying. It was the only sound effect he made because he was a silent protagonist at the time. And it happened so often, my father yelled at me to either mute the game or stop dying because it was driving him nuts. Uh, I think that was the, the most I ever had of someone discouraging me from continuing to play. And it, it honestly didn't stop me at all. Were there vehicles in this game? So there was the like the bike that you rode around only in certain areas, though, they were confined to very specific areas. And I remember being terrible at those levels when I was younger. Like I really, really struggled because I remember the controls were terrible. Oh, oh God, the controls were so, so bad. But, you know, I still really enjoy it. But I remember being bad at it. And those were definitely ones that I, f I remember fully skipping those areas and still being able to progress forward on the game. And the game still had a lot of some harken back to those old school platformers because it had all of the, what do they call them? Like precursor eggs or the egg things, right? The orbs. Orbs. Yeah, precursor orbs. Yeah, so you had to run around and there were a ton of those. Because I remember in the following games, and this is going to bleed into the, the rose tinted for those second and third games that I would love to cover at some point, that they were all of a sudden gone, right? But in this game, they were just everywhere. 
So it was just, you needed to get like a hundred of these or whatever. And could you trade them in? Like was... Yeah, so there were various times. So you were always trying to get, oh, I power cells, I want to say they were called. Oh, yeah. And so you, they were, the power cells were the main element of how you progressed forward in the game. Whereas the precursor orbs were kind of like coins or rings, rings. or those kind of mechanics like that. So you could trade in a certain amount at different times normally for a power cell. But that was, again, another part of the game that was great was that if you weren't good, like I want to say the very first time I played through it, I didn't 100% it because I just, I got the bare minimum and could move on. And that was really, again, appealing because if there were really hard parts at the time, if there were parts I struggled to get, I could still move on and go forward in the game and not miss out on content of the game. And that worked really well is you needed a minimum of, let's say, 20 power cells to move forward. But there was an option of earning up to 25 in that section. And you could and go so back, you, right? Like, it's it's not and like you could a, lot go of these, back. a lot of the old school games, like, you're done, you're done. You could go back yeah. and 100% or 101 the game. You mentioned the silent protagonist, but Daxter was Jack's voice most of the time like even comically so yeah what was his backstory like did he fall he fell into black eco yes and he transformed into an otzel that sounds whatever right he was the game itself similar to i think earthworm jim was self-referential he, daxter called you out for never speaking like he's he would be like say something anything for once and like he would make fun of you because you as the protagonist never spoke jack did not speak in the first game they would do things like where he would be like looking like he was going to speak and Daxter would interrupt him and stuff like that. Absolutely. And it was just a really clever and it, it loved that humor at that age. I, I really enjoyed it. I got it, you know, as the first game on the PS2. I got the PS2 right after it launched. And that was kind of the other exciting thing when it came to the PS2 was this was the first system we got when it was actually new. Yes. Uh, everything else we were kind of behind the curve on. And so... When I bought the PS2 was right when it came out. So Jack and Daxter was one of the few games that was out on it at the time. And so we were exploring it really cleanly for the first time as well. This didn't have, I didn't buy a guidebook for it. I didn't look online for any codes. Like this is, I just played the game. All right. I think I have an inkling, but what is your rose tinted score for this game? So let's give it a score that you remember. Based on everything you remember, what would you give it as a score right now? I have to probably give it like a nine out of 10. It really was one of my genuinely one of my favorite games, especially because I was just really proud that I was able to beat it by myself. It was something that I felt a lot of pride and achievement in is that it was a game I didn't need your help on. I didn't need other people's help on. It was a game I beat by myself. And I was really proud of that fact. And so I definitely think it's a, a nine out of 10 for me. So a really high score for my rose tinted score. What about you? I think I'm going to go an eight and a half because, again, the game was just fun. Even watching you play it, like, it was fun. The, the music was good. The We haven't even talked about the music, but I remember the music being good. The colors were good. The, the voice acting was good. I really enjoyed that game, so I'm going to go eight and a half. Okay. And so then what do you think your predictive score of playing it again, what do you think it's going to be? I honestly think there's a decent chance that it would bump up to a nine. Because just playing it again, there's a chance that some of the mechanics might be bad. And I know I've always ding it on old game mechanics piss me off. But I'm going to go with a 9. What about you? For me, I'm probably going to give it just a solid 9 still. I don't think it will improve with time just because 
I think I do have such a vivid memory of it. It's a little bit cheaty that I have played it a lot more recently than that very first playthrough. I've got remasters or when it was released again on like the PS3, I've absolutely played it again. So I know I still loved it back then. So I, I'm going to keep with the 9 out of 10. I know the controls are probably more finicky even now than I remember playing through because they're always a little bit more finicky than we remember. But I, I think that the overall feel of the game will, will definitely outweigh that and it'll stay that 9 out of 10. All right, so Katie gave it a 9 and a 9 for both a rose-tinted and estimated score. I gave it 8.5 rose-tinted. I'm guessing I will give it a 9. I am going to have to dig up my PlayStation 3 and the remaster of this game because I know I bought it. It's just somewhere in my house. So we will see how this figures up to playing again. Let's do it. Figures up is not an expression. It is now. (laughs) So we got our rose-tinted thoughts and our rose-tinted scores on the game. We've had a chance to go back and play it. I think both of us ended up uh, 100%ing the game, right? That is correct. I thought about not doing it, and then producer Kyle shamed me into it on Twitch, so... I mean, as he should have. That's fair. So that's a good segue to lead into. So as we were talking about earlier, we had the speedrunner who 100% the game in an hour and 34 minutes about. There's some seconds in there, too, um, which is pretty common in the speedrun community, apparently, to be under two hours, at least. Guess how much time we took to 100%, Chris? I'm guessing not as well. The Chiox followed that up with... Not nearly as well. Um, I completed the game in seven hours, 43 minutes, and eight seconds. Oh, God. (laughs) And you completed the game in 14 hours, 58 minutes, and 52 seconds. Holy cow. Was it really that long? (laughs) So when, at one point while we were doing this, Chris messaged me and said, I think you beat the game in about half the time I took. He wasn't wrong. (laughs) Jeez, that was just a guess. I was just looking at the length of of the streams that we had on Twitch, and it's just like, I'm taking so much longer. I will say you did step away for chunks of the stream, and I was too lazy to uncount those chunks. So you could probably take an hour out of your, at least out of your stream. Over the different ones, yeah. Right. Anyway, though, outside of our very impressive gameplay times, uh, what were your thoughts on the game, Chris? I I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, I say that a lot because, you know, we're playing games that we didn't hate, as I said earlier. Yet. But I, I didn't... It's true. I didn't play this game nearly as much as you did, and... So I didn't remember uh, a whole lot of it, which I think was kind of nice, too, because you get to explore a little bit more. But I had fun. It's just a good, straightforward platformer. The graphics were fun. The plot was just there enough to keep you entertained. Mm-hmm. And it I, I had a really good time. What about you? You played it a little bit more recently. Yeah, I did play it. I think my file I looked at in the game for the, the remaster on the PS4 was... 2018 I had played the game so only two years ago really and I had replayed it before on the PS2 uh, you know before that but you know I got it on every system I got it on the PS3 I got it on the PS4 because I love this game nothing has changed it's still so good it definitely lives up to my memories of how much I enjoyed that game 
and I think that is a big factor in the gameplay of it as well, or the gameplay times we had. I remembered a lot for the game, not just because of the recent playthroughs, but I know when I first played through it again, like on the PS3, I just remembered because I had played it so much as a kid. I remembered so much, right. especially in those early levels. I remembered so much of everything that happened. Chris does not use the roll jump for the first, like, Two or three hours. It was a while before I figured that out. Which was driving me up the wall watching him. And I didn't want to spoil it, but I was like, roll jump, roll jump. Oh God, roll jump. But whereas I naturally was just like, that's how I got around to be faster. And that's just a muscle memory thing. That's just how often I had played the game. And it's it's so weird because I, I know I was playing like Mario 64 on the DS or even any of the Mario games. All of the jumping stuff is the same. It's kind of that whole thing where it's like you could triple jump and do all that stuff and slide jump. And it's just I didn't even remember any of that. And I literally had the manual for <laughs> it. I was playing the original PS2 version. So I had I had the original manual, which is this really nice big fold out that comes with like a it's got a map it's got all of the controls like it's really really nice and i meant to read the controls and then i just forgot and was like i'll figure it out or they'll tell me and then you know what happens from that is is not roll jumping you don't you don't remember the roll jump so let's step back real quick what is jack and daxter about let's talk about the story of jack and daxter so as we said it is a platformer for the ps2 the main character is jack he is your non-speaking, non-verbal protagonist. They do make a joke of it that Daxter interrupts him on multiple occasions before he has a chance to say anything. Daxter is your best friend who at the very beginning of the game falls into a pit of dark eco and turns into an Otzel. Um, and that's really what triggers the whole game. This is the hero's quest, another trope, where you have to go and find a way to un -otzel him and of course in the somehow some way this mini task of taking care of something very close to you turns into saving the world because that's how that works so that that is the main plot of the game your advisor is the green sage and he tells you to go check out the other sages to see if they can help and so you go along the way and each hub world is based around a sage and then you go into the mini worlds around the hub world uh and then you end up having to rescue all the sh sages because they're useless and you have to save them because eventually you're trying to find the person that could, I think, turn Daxter back ended up being yes. evil because they also were with Dark Eco. Yes, the Dark Eco corrupted them. Both of them. Who's siblings, I think. Also, can we talk about how, how the one, the brother, was voiced by D. Snyder? Like, D. freaking Snyder? I don't think I knew that. It, I was literally looking at the credits and it went by and I went, wait. D. Snyder? Like, that that D. Snyder? And apparently I missed this during the final boss when he's actually talking at some point. He says, we're not going to take it. And, and what else did he voice in case anyone's not as nerdy about you? Oh, just in case. It's not nerdy. Like, it's, it's the guy from Twisted Sister. So rock and roll, hair metal, like someone you wouldn't expect to see in a PlayStation 2 game. Yeah, so that's the plot of the game, and that's what spurs you on to the worlds. There's, like I said, there's platformers. There are, um, we mentioned, I believe, in the rose-tinted section, there are vehicle levels with the zoomer, which the controls were horrific on. It was rough to get around on that zoomer. <laughs> they work great. We've been hearing rumors otherwise about there being a break on the zoomer. But Lies. I, I still don't believe them, because all, all it seemed like you could do was like do a hard turn and try to counter thrust the other way, which got to be a real pain in the neck. So who gave you who gave you the zoomer? That was 
There was Kira. Well, Kira had one. And then you also rode the bird thing. The flut flut. The flut Yes. The thing that, that producer Lisa always laughed at the name of. Also, producer Lisa really hated Kira's model. Like the, oh, you mean the, Kira the wrench the wench, wench model? Yes. The, so, like, yeah, the, her archetype was fine. She is, yeah, we're, we're going to pull that around. She was your mechanic. She made the zoomer. I think she was the Green Sage's daughter, I'm pretty sure. Yes. So she helped you with the zoomer and all that stuff, repairing stuff. She had that, like, super, super hourglass figure, that, like, impossibly thin waist. And as soon as she came up on screen, the producer Lisa just went, oh, God. Yeah. She she should have snapped in half. Just, like, very much. I want to say, like, her underwear was sticking out from the side of her pants. And it's just like, that's weird and seems unnecessary. And it's very interesting. Again, this is a definitely kid-centered game. It was aimed yeah. at children. Well, you know. But devs were probably a bunch of 20-year-old guys. Lonely uh, animator syndrome is something I genuinely believe in. <laughs> Overall, though, back to, like, the actual, like, game itself. The other thing that really frustrated me, because, again, this is a game that taught me to be a completionist, but there aren't always ways of telling you where to find things. As much as this game directed you and gave you those tutorial moments of, like, you're going to be doing a bigger version of this later, when it came to, like, finding precursor orbs, which are the game's equivalent to, like, rings or coins, there was a certain amount in every area, and they would tell you, out of 200, out of 50, or whatever... The problem is you would get to like 196 and you'd just be like, great, where are the other four? And there was no indication whatsoever. You might have just barely missed it somewhere. And I still remembered a lot of the locations, but even then, like, I can't imagine like how much longer those original playthroughs were just because of trying to find all those freaking items with no way. They don't give you any hints whatsoever. And the worst is when you have an odd number right? When you've got like one or like three. Well, yeah, because one or three missed means that you saw them and you didn't get all of them typically because there's almost always yeah. an even numbers. Like it almost felt better when you only had 10 missed because even though it was a big number, you're like, that's one of the like mechanics. That's a group of them. You know, they're all together. But when it's like eight, it could be groups of four and four or yeah, yeah like three, like Oh, that means I just missed someone. There's the one level that was very frustrating to you and the precursor underwater crew precursor city where there's these slide areas where you can't go backwards because of the slide. So if you missed the precursor orb on the slide, you had to somehow get back to the top of the slide, which wasn't easy unless you died on the slide. If you didn't die on the slide, you end up at the bottom. You have to go through like the whole level to do it again. And you had to do the whole level again. And that was one of the, that was like the only location that happened, but it was so ridiculously frustrating because you'd miss like two and you have to go all the way back to the beginning of the level to find them again. And it was just. (sighs) Some of the zoomer levels were, were that way too, right? You had, so you had a, you had those couple of zoomer levels that were typically really, it was the ones that were in between the hub cities because mm-hmm. the game was laid out in what? Uh, essentially four hubs? Three. Three and then the final one, right? Yeah. Because you had the green sage, blue sage, red sage. Yes. And then the yellow sage, which we could kind of talk about. It felt like there should have been another hub level. Yeah, so that was an interesting thing I noticed. I've noticed before, but I definitely noticed in this playthrough again. When you're leaving the red sage's hut, there's four sages. There's green, blue, red, and yellow. When you're leaving the red sage's hut, 
Kira tells you, okay, when you get to the Yellow Sage's hut, turn on the transporter so we can show up. Okay, so you go through the level, the like the in-between Zoomer levels that connect the hub worlds. You end up on the other side. You open the portal that's not in a hut. It's just in the ground in front of you. And Kira shows up and you're at the Citadel, which is the final level. That's the Black Mage's level, the Dark Eco Mage. And so there's like, even the dialogue said, you should be showing up at the Yellow Mage's place and you never do. You just show up at the Dark Eco's place, uh, Sage's place. And it's just like, it almost felt like there was a whole extra chunk of game they could have added that they just ran out of time for various reasons yeah they ran out of time budget whatever and it's really funny too because that's the other reason i think that like the game you beat the game and i i said it in the rose tinted for there's a hundred percent but there's a hundred and one power cells and even though at the very beginning of the game it says out of a hundred so you can get a hundred out of a hundred and not have every single power cell the fact that it's 101 and the game doesn't acknowledge that until you get 101 is another reason i think there's just there was gonna be more so the total was gonna be like 150 or something and then they just didn't get there because it's not like the 101st is something you get from the final boss or anything right like i i ran through everything and had 99 and had to go back and get two that were just at random points in the game right and so it felt like there was supposed to be more and there wasn't it's not like i felt like i was missing out on anything but it just there was this opening that they never took so, so you talked about uh, the the dark ego, mm-hmm. and we had got these four sages. So that that corresponded to the the four different types of ego, yes. right? So like you you pick up stuff. They were just kind of glowing balls of like they kind of look like static lightning ball type things. Yeah, green eco was your health. So you'd pick up green mm-hmm. eco pieces, and it would restore your health. Then you have blue eco, which was like energy. It made you run faster. It made you be able to activate platforms doors those kind of things jumps and then you had the red eco which just made you stronger essentially and then yellow eco you you shot missiles basically out of your hand yeah which was pretty fun which you used all over the place which apparently i didn't realize you could use the little look around when you get (laughs) triangle you get like a different view and you could use that to aim your yellow eco like, it's like, well, I'm an idiot. Boy, that would have made this a whole lot easier. And the interesting thing, again, that is another guiding element. Again, this game was really good at signposting things you'll have to do later. So oh, it yeah. was things like, for example, for that, it was actually telling you that for the final boss, you had to use the triangle, apparently, to aim at the boss at one point and shoot him with yellow eco. Like, right. you, would, you couldn't do it otherwise. And that was absolutely what that was doing. It was signposting that for you a little bit before because it was in the hub world before that happened and they had that they they had that with like the you saw that with the zoomers a little bit Mm -hmm. where they gave you like a little bit of an open area and had to go through a couple narrow areas right before you did the first of the the little transition areas they did that i want to say they kind of did that with the flut flut as well because the first time you use the flut flut is in the swamp level yes and it was just platforms and it, you didn't really die if you fell off, whereas when it showed up in the snow level, you died if you fell off. You died and you had to deal with ice, yeah. which, by the way, I thought they did a really good job of, of ice, like the physics of that, which is kind of a weird thing to say, because, I mean, all the time it's like, sure, you slide on ice. But in this game, it's like you couldn't get started as well. Yeah. Like it actually was like, 
All right, it's, it's, I gotta give myself some time to ramp up to get going, jump, and I'm gonna slide across it. Like, that's not something you, I feel like you necessarily see a lot when, when ice is in video no, games. No, and it was ridiculously frustrating at times. So frustrating. Um, though, again, something I always do in pretty much any game I play, but again, I think Jack and Daxter is what started it. Um, though Final Fantasy, I definitely did this, so never mind. I take that back. Final Fantasy VII, I did this first. You dance in elevators, which I yelled at Chris on Twitch to do, is when you're on a platform, <laughs> you and this is something everyone does, is you have your character spin and dance and do crazy stuff. Um, but another thing I did, absolutely, the reason I bring it up is on the ice, I absolutely had Jack ice skating along and twirling and stuff like that, because why not? Why? Of course I would. Yeah. They've got those those stereotypical ice-level... Swamp level, beach level, fire level, uh, under underwater level, sort of like underwater city level, I guess. You were never really underwater. Yeah, underwater city, not underwater. There was no swimming. There was not significant swimming mechanics, I should say. No, because the stupid fish thing would just eat you. The lurker fish. Yes, which happened to me, I think, in the, the second hub world. Yeah. Uh, like I immediately got in there, immediately fell in the water and was like, oh, I'm okay. And then you just hear that. That nice little heartbeat. And I think I it's it's somewhere in Twitch. I just started going, no, 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 go away. <laughs> I, I will say that reminds me. That was something I had forgotten about with this game that I really loved was how important or how much sound was used as a hint in this game. So, for mm. example, hearing the heartbeat so you knew something was about to happen or the things like the the scout flies, you could tell you were close to one because you they made that certain buzzing noise and so you knew you were close to one or a power cell had a very specific sound that you knew you yeah. were close to a power cell. That was such a really cool way of hinting to, again, hinting to a player and trying to lead them in the right direction of where to go, what to do, how to find things. That was really, really cool. I didn't even pick up on the scout fly making noise, I think, until I was watching one of your playthroughs. Yeah. And it's just like, oh. I forgot about the fisherman in one of the early levels. You go down a bridge and there's a fisherman. You have to catch a bunch of fish. And he's Oy. crucial because yeah. he gives you the key to get on a boat to go to Misty Island. So right. the very first time I played this game, I didn't go to Misty Island at all until I beat the game and went back to 100% it because I totally didn't know it basically was a thing yeah like, I, I knew they spoke about it but like i didn't find it and it didn't show up in my like string of places to go and i never saw the fisherman who gives you the key to do that eventually the hint is if you're jumping over the bridge and you listen you hear him talking below you yeah and i didn't realize that until much later and that's kind of the other things of like those kind of moments of like, again, the sound was supposed to hint to you like, hey, maybe you should check this out, dum-dum. And after you beat that minigame, he's just laughing hysterically yes, all the laugh. time. So anytime you go near him, it's just like the pirate laugh. Exactly. That game that took me, it didn't take me too many times. So that was one of, they had a, they had a couple, they had a couple minigames. They had a fishing minigame where you kind of had to swing your, uh, net back and forth to try to catch fish and you could only miss a certain amount and if you got the bad fish you instantly lost and then i think there was the shoot the rats away from the the hillbillies pets bait so they had a couple the one thing that was i kind of remembered was detrimental you don't remember it till you're playing again the biggest thing that was detrimental more than even the zoomer was the camera oh God, the camera was so bad at times. Like, you'd get stuck on things when you're trying to pivot yeah. the camera. And for some reason, it just feels like it's not the right direction to turn it the way I want it to turn. 
and it just ooh, the camera was definitely my one of my largest frustration points of replaying this game was how bad the camera was at times you could swing it most of the time but as you're saying you'd get into especially some of the platforming sections and you'd die because of it which was just yeah. brutal because you just could yeah. not pivot the camera the way you wanted it, and you'd be like i think i'm gonna land somewhere nope dead nope missed any it. last thoughts before we give our scores just some, I, I thought the, the aesthetics were really good. I really liked, I really liked the facial animations. Like kind of that very exaggerated, big, colorful facial animations. That's one thing I, I noted playing through, even watching your playthrough. The graphics didn't age badly despite the years because they didn't try to do the hyper-realistic or anything like that because of the cartoon right. style graphics, because of the, the stylized things that they did. The over-exaggeration, it just it still aged really well, in my opinion. It it looked the way I remembered, but it didn't look like, oh, this is cheap graphics. Like, it was still just, it looked good. It did. And I, I kept forgetting that you were playing the, the remastered version, mm -hmm. so I'd watch your stream and be like, man, yours looks so good. It's like, oh, that's right, because it's, it's for the PS4, the remaster. And it felt like almost like it just looked better on mine, not because they made any significant changes, but because it just it had more processing power. It's almost like the game was a little right. too big for the PS2. And so, you know, it, it, it could handle it. And that and that's the thing. There was never a remake. We, we normally talk about this later. There's never a remake of this game, but there were remasters. They did a remastered port of the whole series for PS3. So that added the 1080p elements and anti-alias elements, which was informed by a Twitch user who actually also talked about the speedrunning. So thank you for that. And then the PS4 version I played is actually an emulated version. It's not a ported version. It's an emulated version. That's interesting. So the improvements were made in PS3, but the PS4 version was a basically emulated version of the PS3 version, which is interesting. So it's just like automatically upscaled, yes. like that kind of yeah. thing. Interesting. Okay, let's get to the nitty gritty. What was your score? I, I think I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a nine. It wasn't perfect. There was some frustrating elements, but I think it was a solid, solid platformer. Uh, it wasn't overly difficult. It was really quick when you died. We <laughs> yeah. talked about this in a little bit of the rose, especially compared to the last couple of games. You die, you go back like two or three or four or five minutes and you're just back at it again. I, I enjoyed it. Obviously, I, I played it for 14 hours and didn't even feel like it. So I didn't hate playing it. So I, I would give it a nine. I enjoyed the heck out of it. What about you? I too would give it a nine. Again, there are elements. It's not perfect. The cameras weren't great. But honestly, I've played platformers that came out decades later that still had camera issues. Camera issues are always a problem with platformers for whatever reason. It was just, it was a really fun game. It had some really different elements to it of adding the zoomer, of adding the mini games at times. It felt, you know, ahead of its time. It was just... It was a really good, fun game overall, so I absolutely would give it that 9 out of 10, which means, I think for the first time, we both called our scores. Way! Um, we both said it was going to be a 9 out of 10, because uh, we're awesome. That's how we predicted it, not just because we, we were lucky. Right. Where's the, where's the quote it's talking about ahead of its time? There's a guy on Twitch that that said to me one of the times I was playing, here it is, he said, I can't believe Naughty Dog made this game in my childhood. Like, yeah. 
it's held up well enough. It really, it really has. It, it, there's a reason the game is sold as much as it has. There's a reason the game got the scores it did, that it, it spawned such a franchise. I know it's never going to happen. I'd love to see a re-entry into this franchise because Lost Frontier was not great, unfortunately. The main Naughty Dog team didn't work on it wasn't great i'd love to see another foray into it it doesn't it's not gonna happen most likely but Mm. i loved this game i just had a a ton of fun playing it i'd love naughty dog to go back to anything like this not that it's gonna happen as you said but because i mean it's so weird that like this game and like Mm -hmm. crash made naughty dog and then now they're known for last of us and the last of us and and uncharted (laughs) like totally different it's just like wow it'd be like if id software came out with a farming simulator (laughs) or something like that that's that's not fair because they're they're all still platformers i guess and stuff like that but there's definitely elements of later jack games that you see that they adapted into these later games to be fair again hopefully we'll we'll do episodes on at least jack 2 if not jack 3 as well but i think we're about Wrapping up again, I, I think it's pretty obvious that both Chris and I would recommend anyone go back and play it if they played it before or play it for the first time if they haven't. It is such a fun game. I'm going to play but play it again at some point, guaranteed. Love this game. Totally agree. I, I'll probably play it again. I'll probably... Well, I know we want to talk about the second one, so I guess I won't play the other ones until we can get around to discussing those. But I, I would definitely recommend it to... Anyone that wants a kind of a throwback to an old school platformer in that Mario 64 vein, especially if you were on the 64 side, go go pick it up. It's easy to find. Yeah. That said, we're going to be moving away from platformers for a little bit, kind of going in an opposite direction. So next episode, join us for Jammer Lammy. If you are unfamiliar with that title, it is a sequel to the very popular game on the PlayStation, Parappa the Rapper. We're going to be playing some rhythm guitar, watch us fail on Twitch. So that's going to be next episode. Every episode is going to be coming out pretty much every other week at this point. So that's kind of the plan. We'll do our best. Longer games might take a little time. We'll try to pace it well and be smart about it. But that's the next one on the slate. If you want to interact and watch us fail miserably on Twitch, we are at GWGW Show. Um, we're at GWGW Show pretty much everywhere. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, come interact with us. Talk to us. Give us your opinions of the games. Give us five stars because that's a thing that matters for podcasts. If you want other people to listen to us. Where are you going to find us? Where where Where's the podcast going to be? It'll be on Apple and Google, Spotify. So we're going to be getting the podcast to as many places as possible. So check it out. Otherwise, really, thank you for listening to our podcast thus far. Uh, we also want to thank our producers again. Producer Kyle and producer Lisa, you guys are... Yes, thank you so much, guys. So important to what we do. Um, even if you don't always hear them yelling at us in the background, they absolutely are important to everything we do with this. So thank you so much. Thank you for anyone who's listened, uh, and we'll see you next episode. All right. Say goodbye, Katie. Bye, Katie. Goodbye, everyone. Nope. Don't say it like that. Bye, everyone. <laughs>